coming from Morgan, it was certainly a little bit, it was certainly a little bit jarring, but it also was the like, you know, you're going to have to know the federal acquisition regulations backwards and forwards because my only defense in this room is going to be excellence. And I'm not suggesting that's all because we're all going to encounter racism. Sometimes it can't be overcome. But I was like, I'm at least going to do everything within my control um, when I step into these rooms to, to, to do my job because I took it seriously. Excellent at what you do at a young age is a given for young Black women. We're inundated with the twice as good messaging early on because in many spaces, we are the only ones. So what do you do when you've mastered all that you can master in one space, have risen through the ranks like a supernova, and are still yearning for a challenge? You go work for Diddy. At least that's what this week's guest, Dia Sims, did. Dia Sims is the former president of Combs Wine and Spirits, where she oversaw the execution of all Ciroc Ultra Premium Vodka, Dalian Tequila, and Spirits Innovation Projects for the company. Try to say that twice. Sis got receipts. Under Dia's leadership, since 2007, the company experienced a more than 1,000% growth, going from obscurity to one of the most globally recognized vodka brands. Of course, Dia didn't stop there. Now, she set her sights on the cannabis industry and is the CEO of Burn Group, spelled B-R-N, and Burn Group is the first of its kind. It's an e-commerce distribution and brand building firm. Not only that, but Burn Group develops interactive and personalized e-commerce experiences, catapulting new cannabis brands into this very burgeoning market. Y'all, you're going to enjoy this conversation with Dia, so keep listening. So I am sitting here with the amazing, just stunning at 1.41 p.m. Dia Sims, just giving me so much beautiful glam. Hi, Dia. How are you? Hi, Marquita. I'm doing well. I'm so excited to be in these beautiful Essence offices. I'm so happy for you to be here. And um, thank you for coming to Industry City and allowing me to, you know, dig around in your work life and a little bit of your personal life, not too much. But um, I like to ask everyone who comes on to the show. First question. Tell me about your very, very first job. That first check you ever earned, that first work experience. Yeah. So my first job was at LaGuardia Airport. Okay. I grew up in Queens, New York. Like I actually could walk to the airport. Oh wow. And um it was called parodies, all like the gift shops where you go get, well, back then you would get a newspaper, um, where you get your candy and your magazines, and uh and then there also was a sports shop. Mm-hmm. And it was it's funny because I feel like I've always been in training to work twenty four hours a day because <laughs> I was like, I've always worked in like airports and hospitals yes. and things like it was the perfect training for the puff daddy can't stop, won't stop. Um experience <laughs> that was yet to come. Um, um, so it was, I was, you know, I was a teenager. I worked all summer and sometimes I would work during the school year. How old were you? I think teenager? my first job was like six, my first like legit, legit job was like, like 16. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And you, but you also, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. You were born on the West Coast, Yeah, right? I was born in Monterey, California. But, yes. so, but you pretty much like formative years, you- yeah, my dad was in the army, so I was born in Monterey, and um, we lived in Ger- Germany for a while, okay. and then we moved to New York. Was probably like six. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So growing with your father in the army, and it, I mean, it sounds like you guys pretty much settled. Ultimately, you settled in Queens for a little while, but was there a lot of moving around and kind of getting adjusted to different environments quickly? I think it was like a, an awesome experience. I mean, I remember coming back. Um, 
you know, even in Germany, we lived obviously on an army base, mm -hmm. but for a while we actually lived in the community. Yeah. So I don't know much. I can only count to 10 now, but when I moved <laughs> you know, at the time, I was able to speak like conversational German. Wow. I got to actually be a part of the, the, the actual community. Mm -hmm. My sister was older. So she, back then it was still West Germany and East Germany dating myself. Um, so she got to like go skiing. And anyway, it was, a it was an extraordinary experience. I think coming to New York, even at that age, I was able to have a lens of like, different communities yeah. and what it meant to be and, you know, what just, just different ethnicities, um, uh, which you all get when you live in New York. Yep. But, um, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. You, I mean, you had a, sounds like you had a firm worldview at a young A little age. bit. Sort yeah. of, I mean, not <laughs> super well, but definitely, you know, definitely a little Guten Morgen type of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was trying to think of a word, but I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I cannot remember it. Yeah. So what were you like as a kid? So, um, what I hear back all the time is I talk super fast, like crazy fast. I even still, when I speak, I always, my mind have to like slow down. Yeah. My mother would always say like, you cannot talk as fast as you think. Like, so, and even to the point I remember my teenager, my sister played me back in a message I left on an answering machine. And she was like, you, you decipher it. You tell me what you said. Cause it's like ridiculous. And even I was like, I don't know what the hell I, I this is just even real. I can't decipher what I just said. Queens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Queens, queens. Oh, exactly. I was very happy. Um, almost like, I don't know, almost like out of a like, cartoon happy to the point. Like my parents would get reports from neighbors that like she literally skips for that's four really blocks. Sweet. Like and whistles. Like that's really, that's really sweet. That's good. So in New York, it probably was uh, a little bit of an outlier. I mean, one yeah. of the things and that growing up initially in California and Germany in these really safe communities on army bases. Um, you know, mother tells a story of like, when I came back to New York, I was very friendly. Mm -hmm. So I was always like, Oh, hello, good morning. Oh. Hi. Yes. How are you doing? So what are you doing later? And she was like, nah, yeah, nah, nah. nah we're back in New York now. <laughs> like we talked to nobody, head straight ahead, walk fast, no lefts or rights. That's this is so how you get funny. home. This is breadcrumbs. Like, and she said it kind of broke her heart to have to like try to train yeah. me out of being like friendly, you know what I mean, yep. to everybody. But it was, you know, my dad was an MP and then he came here and worked for NYPD. So it was, oh, I definitely wow. got a lot of immersive safety training. Yeah. <laughs> which was not, which, <laughs> so I mean, which that. it's interesting. I just had a conversation with a friend about this, about how as little girls, just you're growing up and a lot of us, we are kind of friendly and outward. and But yeah. you do get to that certain age where people start telling you, no, look ahead. Don't say nothing. Yeah. Don't do this. You kind of do have to mute yourself no, a little bit. No, it's true. It's true. It's yeah. unfortunate, but yeah. Yeah. So um, tell me about you, because I want to get into this career. Ooh la la. Which is layered and I'm, I'm so obsessed with, uh, hopefully that doesn't sound too creepy, but girl, I am obsessed with the mini pivots that you've had, which we're going to get into. So dizzying. But I, before, <laughs> before, before you got to Sean Combs Enterprises and some other things, yes. um, you went to Morgan State University, yes, right? Yes. And graduated, was it psychology? Psychology, at a business psychology, yes. Okay. And then you also had, um, was it an extended Master's degree in yes. management? Yes. Okay. Those two degrees. Yes. Do they serve you now? Are they still serving you? Psychology, yeah. Hell okay. yeah. Like okay. all day, every day. So when you enter a room, is it kind of a instant? Yeah, like, are just, you kind of analyzing? I have a diagnosis for you, and like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> wait, turn the, turn the mic off. Turn the mic off. Let's. I want to let, let's dig into this. So, what did you see no, when you came? No, I think um, legit. I think um, understanding human behavior as a precursor to going into like advertising and building brands and thinking through what 
both like mental and emotional connections drive decision making mm. was it was just a great springboard. And yeah. also, I love going to an HBCU. I mean, the yeah. world, you know, you go into a world that is diverse and I, and I love the experiences I have with everyone. Um, but having that short period of time um, to be really immersed in my culture mm-hmm. and have teachers who cared about me like aunts and uncles yeah. is something I'm as extraordinarily grateful for. So go when- Bears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So when you um, when you went from when you went to Morgan State initially, yes, and you were exposed to that experience for the first time, do you remember what was that like? What was it like to be in that kind of environment for you? It was like you know, forgive the cliche, but it was like a homecoming. Yeah, I in um I had gone to a school called St. Francis Prep in Queens, New York, that was um and it was a wonderful experience. It was. Pre- predominantly white. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact, she went to school with um, all like Gotti's kids and like a lot of, it's a very different <laughs> yeah, world. And I had a lot, I mean, a lot of great friends and great experiences yeah. there. But um, then to go to an HBCU environment where it was such a sense of family and camaraderie and mm. it felt like um, this combination of like academic pursuits and church, right? You know yep, what I mean? Like yep. in the same, in the same place. So it was very, soul enriching. Um, and I think having that combination of people genuinely caring about your total person Mm. and what your total person meant to an entire community, um, that actually gave you to me, like helped to build the confidence, you know, you could be successful academically, but in isolation to me is somewhat meaningless, but when it's standing on the foundation of like the love of a community, I think that's when you're poised to do really great things at a societal level, not at like an individual level. Wow. Under- definitely understood. So you, so from Morgan State, when you graduated, um, what was your first job out of college? So my first job was working in contract negotiations for the Department of Defense. Okay. Um, Let's dig into that. Yes. <laughs> so um, I would assume that this was very much a very white, environment? Were there a lot of people of color there? Were there a lot of women? So I would say, um, I think the federal government has done a good job in terms of like proper diversity. So there was certainly diverse people in the building in leadership though. No, absolutely not. (laughs) Um, and in my role, I was part of a new program. So, um, after like 10 years probably before I got there, there was like major scandal where uh, I think actually it was the LA Times had done an expose on the Department of Defense saying like, you guys are spending like $800 on hammers and $600 on like a regular old $40 toilet. And this is taxpayer money going yeah. to waste. And what their expose discovered, there was like these deep relationships between the people who were representing the federal government and buying and the people who were selling. And they were really like, there was just really no actual negotiation going on. Okay. Um, so we're like, we're going to go out and we're going to train a new force okay. in this space so that when people go out and negotiate contracts, they're doing it um, in the spirit of protecting the U.S. taxpayer, as, is, as it should be. So I was fortunate to be a part of that group and um, received, like, amazing training. I had two years of training and negotiations. And, and was this always something that you were interested no, in? No, I didn't even know about this. So, yeah, no, I, didn't, I mean, that's so how did you? I mean, how did you end up getting into that out of, with these two? Honestly, know? I met, this is a good tip. I just actually, they were recruiting at, like, a job fair. Okay. And I went with a friend. I was Got even, it. my friend was like, call me a job fair. I feel like this is, like, everyone's story. And um, I, what I was interested in at the time was I was thinking about going to law school. Ah, so what really sparked my interest was okay. I would pay for your master's degree, which they did. And 
they would train you in negotiation. Um, so I was like, okay, I like this. Hot tip. They paid for your master's degree. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. You can get, okay. especially now. I mean, at yeah. my time getting school, I was blessed to get an academic scholarship to Morgan and then Department of Defense paid for mine. So I didn't have to pay out of pocket for college. I mean, what I see happening right now, young people, it's, is just bananas. Yes. Bananas. It's, By the way, learning like the same the, thing. Like the education yeah. didn't change. Yeah. <laughs> and with, for better or worse. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so yes, just another yes. conversation. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So you're in this, you know, this new, pro- this new program. Yes. And you're picking up, you know, all this new Super great superhero and, skills. Yes. So how did you ultimately end up with Sean Combs Enterprises? Golly. So, um... I'm sure I'm skipping some things, but tell me what's in between. There. Yeah, yeah. So the short of it was, um, and it's probably important to know that to, to your earlier question, like at VOD, a thousand percent was youngest. I was like 21. Mm-hmm. I was the only black and the only woman in any of these rooms. Any minority, not just black, any minority. Um, and I was negotiating against people who had been in the industry for like 50, 60 years, who were frankly shocked and appalled about like, why would I be in the room if I was not fetching coffee? Um, <sighs> and it was, it was actually like coming on top, coming from Morgan. It was certainly a little bit, it was certainly a little bit jarring, but it also was the like, you know, you're going to have to know the federal acquisition regulations backwards and forwards because my only defense in this room is going to be excellence. And I'm not suggesting that's all because we're all going to encounter racism. Sometimes it can't be overcome. But I was like, I'm at least going to do everything within my control um, when I step into these rooms to, to, to do what my job is. And I took it seriously. And I'm a Pollyanna in that way of like, no, I really care about taxpayer money. Like I, I remember yeah. being in a meeting and I was advocating for an engineer was literally like, you know, take your taxpayer hat off. And I was like, no, that's no, 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 that's, no, no, absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. Um, so a lot of what I learned there has helped me, particularly in negotiation, has helped me very much in working for POF. It has helped me you know, in the kitchen, negotiate with my husband what we're going to have for dinner, right? (laughs) (laughs) It comes in handy uh, over and over again. Um, (laughs) But what happened was I was a New York City girl Mm -hmm. and where I was working was super rural. So it was literally like horse crossing signs and the town was in an uproar about the amount of street lights that were coming in. And I was like, well, I'm like, I don't know about this. Like I'm 21. I don't (laughs) want to be able to do a a two-step every second week. (laughs) So I moved, I transferred to another division in D.C., and, um, you know, it ended up honestly just becoming boring. Real talk. Yeah. It got okay. to where I would get assignments where it would be like, this is due in May. And it would be February. <laughs> and then I would do it like in two <laughs> days. And be like, do you have yeah. more, more, more work I can do? But that's important, though. Like, if you're, I mean, if you're bored by your work, especially at that age, that's a sign. Oh, absolutely. Right? I mean. Yeah, no matter how, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm so obsessed about time. And I'll, this is like a kind of contradictory statement. Like, I think you should absolutely love the time when you're young, but like, it's going to go by fast and like start protecting your brain and your, in your power as early as you can. So I could have just stayed there obviously and just like taking a check. But I was like, dude, my brain is atrophying doing this. Like, I'm going to curse, but BS. Yeah. I was like, you know what I mean? Can, like, you can absolutely <laughs> freeze. Curse. Okay. Um, so, and, and, um, and I'm like, I can't be here just like, you know, melting away. Of boredom. away. Yeah. Um, so I was talking about it at um, home with some of my roommates and a guy she was dating at the time was like, you should go into sales. Okay. And I was actually totally opposed to it. I think, again, if you're like a young person, I was like, I don't want to sell. I'm not pushing things down. Yeah. Stroke, blah, blah. He's like, no, no, there are people are buying it anyway. Go into sales. Um, so I took an interview at this radio station in um, Towson, Maryland called Mix 106.5. Ah, it's a hot adult okay. contemporary station. Okay. Um, and, uh, and they offered me a job. 
So I took it. And again, it was just dope because radio sales is like hustling, like it's like selling crack. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like you are, you got to pay I've for your it own. it is a hard, hard, It's hard as hell. Yeah. But it's, it teaches you entrepreneurial skills. So mm. it's like whatever you, you get a fake salary, but if you don't cover it, you owe it back. <laughs> oh, yeah. So at some point, like six months in, I was like, I just like stay on the corner. Like, <laughs> like oh, this is a trick. I'll tell you this is a job, but yeah. this is like, <laughs> this is like this is, yeah, yeah, I'm on okay. the block. So, yeah. uh, so, but it taught me like sharp entrepreneurial skills, like yeah. how to manage a budget, how important sales was and how important it was as an employee to be close to you know what you call close to the line and like close how, to the sale how old were you i was probably 24 okay maybe, like 24 okay. got it got it um and um so i learned a lot i was fortunate to be working at like a successful station yes um but it taught me like how to move how to move the transaction from a client being interested to closing the sale and making the money. And mm-hmm. it gave me the confidence of like, okay, maybe I cover my own business. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Like just now, just now, just so now. many years later, <laughs> launching the burn group, a lot of what I learned then helped me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did radio, I did pharmaceutical sales. I did a lot of like sales yeah. jobs for a while. Cause I like the autonomy of it. And okay. I'm now I'm thinking of some little random facts. I remember yeah. kind of digging up. There was something about, did you do like party promotion? Yes. So, something yes. about a clip. I don't know how long this podcast had like a hundred jobs. So you used to walk around with a clipboard. Yes, 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 yes. So for my DC folks, I was a guy named Mark Barnes who like runs nightlife and still does okay. um, in that city. And um, so I used to throw parties with two of my good friends, still good friends to this day. We do like a thousand people a week. Wow. And, you know, frankly, I always say this, I have so much admiration for like where we are right now in terms of what like women are putting down the gauntlet of like, no, this is how it should be treated. You yes. should not, you cannot appropriately. But honestly, we were not that advanced. So yep. like if somebody tried, we, we just had to have like tricky tactics around like fast yeah. moving and grabbing somebody by the wrist and yeah. being assertive, but it was never a, like it was a different type, uh, which is a different time. Yeah. Um, so as a nightclub promoter, it concerned me for myself, but also for the women that I work with. I was like, we, we are here for business. Yes. Like end of the day, like it's fun. I love a good DJ as much as next, but I'm here to make a certain amount of money into the night. And I don't want to be distracted. And I want to make sure the women are being treated with respect. Mm-hmm. So I would literally, I'd buy a clipboard for myself. It would have nothing on it. It would be like, don't forget to shine your shoes on it. You know what I mean? Like no, no relevant business <laughs> like information. Nothing. Yeah. And I would but buy clipboards. see you with I'm holding that clipboard. Yeah. Okay. And I would give them out to the women that I work with. And to this day, like I kind of call it the clipboard effect. It's been like a mental thing for me. Now, when I walk into any room in honestly some very misogynistic industries, and the reality mm-hmm. is that when you get to a C-suite level, it is all men, right? Yes. It doesn't that's industry agnostic. Um, but I mentally have been like, what is the way that I carry myself? What is the gravitas in the way I enter a room that is like that clipboard effect? Yes. You know what I mean? And, and and you shouldn't have to have a prop as a woman, but it has just helped me be like a singular point of you need to figure out what trigger is going to make it clear that like I am here. here. Not only am I here for business, I'm damn good for business. That's right. Okay. And you mean business. Yes. (laughs) You mean business. Um, Even when you came in, when I met you for the first time, you just, it's presence immediately. So appreciate it. Um, Taking notes. So let's get back to Diddy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Only, Only because of checkup. I mean, you've yes. been you no, worked, we're fourteen you years. Were the for a no, while. It's like our brother. Yes. yes, and I know that you. When you took your first role there, it was an EA job. Yes, executive but assistant. But you wanted a chief of staff position. Well, I was interviewed for a chief of staff role. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, they he called me back and said, "Look, we'd like to hire you, but you have not managed like really large teams before. Would you be willing to come on as executive assistant?" Okay. Um, and I. I often say this, but this is what I said at the time. I was like, I don't, you can call me the janitor. Like, this is how much money I need to make, and yeah. I'll be there tomorrow, kind of thing. Do you and, mind me uh, asking, what, 
at that stage in your life, how much money did you need to make? I needed to make like $100,000. That's what I was making in sales. Got it. So yeah, okay. um, which is good, which is a, because I was, the difference was I was actually making a little bit more in radio. Okay. Like about that past year, I had me like about 130000 Okay. But it's radio. It's radio. So I was so like, you. every day I'm hustling. <laughs> yes, so I was yes. like, oh, you never wait sleep. a minute. Yes. I was like, this is like a steady job. Yes. I'm going to get a salary. I was like, yes, yeah, sign me up. I was like, <laughs> got it. Okay. Um, and I also felt like, I'm cool. Sometimes you, even if you view it this way, but sometimes, you know, I think you got to be willing to take like a, a step back to take a step forward. Mm-hmm. I was like, look, this is a guy who I can learn from. And I'm all my life is about like in the pursuit of like, how, how much can I learn? Who can I learn from? Yeah. Um, and for me, that was actually invaluable. So for those of us, for those out there listening, can you kind of refresh my memory and everyone's like, what was going on with Diddy around? What was that when you started? What was what was popping? What was was this, when did he launch Ciroc? What so we launched Ciroc in two thousand seven. Okay. Um, so I started October fifth, two thousand five. Okay. Uh, it was a week after I turned thirty, actually. Wow. Um, and at that time, in the first couple of years, we had Bad Boy Records was still up. We actually were just launching like a Biggie Duets album. Okay. We launched Fragrance. Okay. He had five television shows going on. Yeah, okay. I worked with him on Raising Raising the Sun movie. He had just come off of Vote or Die. I'm looking. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Those yeah, you know like what I mean? was happening like, culturally at that <laughs> yes. time? Yeah, actually, yes. right before that, because uh, the step before that was I ended up, I broke Bad Boy Records as a client in New York for the station Power 105, okay. which was somewhat controversial because way back then, the idea of a second hip hop station going into Hot 97 was like, that was just it was unheard. like, oh, yeah. it was, and Puff being very loyal was actually like, I'm not advertising with the station, I will not for years. Mm. So, I, I kept being like going not to him, but like to his team and broke them for the first time, I think with the new edition album. Ah, and okay. uh, I remember that album. Yeah, yeah. I remember that album. I remember the cover art. Okay. Yes. Um, and okay. that started to be my entree. And then I broke Sean John as a yeah, client. Okay. And then one of the executives called and was like, you send a lot of emails at 3 a.m. I think you and Puff will get along. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Which... Yes. Okay. Yes. I can see that. <laughs> just you know, just some Diddy's like his his persona. Just like totally. Which, by the way, shout out to uh, Mignon SB, and she's gonna kill me because that's her maiden name. Um, but just a, <laughs> you know, a black female executive who reached out to me and connected me with Puff. And it just is an important example of how much we have to be supportive of one another. Wow. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and have you? How have you felt support during like for the duration of? I guess your career like have you gotten a lot of outside support from other from other men in the business has it been difficult do you have any um like any mentor experiences I I would say this so for me it's actually been extraordinary um and I'm just a I'm a big believer though in like how much can you overgive right Mm -hmm. because it comes back in such spades so if there's any small thing that I could do to be helpful in my experience, just almost, you know, not to be a woo, but karma wise, like it comes back in space. Yeah, I, I love a woo mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm here for it. So yes. it's just a real, it's a real thing, right? You yeah, know, the old okay. school, like you walk in a room and somebody had an argument beforehand. You didn't have to know. You can like feel in the air. Yeah. It's a real thing in terms of like, if you legit, like from your heart are going out, like, how, you know what I mean? Like, what can I, what can I do to make things better for the people I'm around? Like yeah. that's. You know what I mean? To me, that's where I've actually operated. And for me, I've gotten that back. I've gotten that back so much, I could live another five lives and couldn't repay wow. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Puff 
specifically I would call out because we do have experiences where I'm going to meetings and he is being like, this is, this is the president of Combs Enterprises. Mm-hmm. And, and they will be like, yeah, yeah, okay, that's sweet. And I'm sorry, Papa. And, and then like, he, ha- he has been a wonderful advocate and said like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I don't know if you heard me. Like, he's like, I don't even know the answer to that question. If you want to know this, you're going to need to talk, talk you're going to need to talk to her. Yeah. And I think, um, look, women's rights are not going to improve without the advocacy of men. Um, and frankly, I think he's been a shining example that doesn't get the credit for it way before, um, way before it was kind of in fashion, right? Or, yeah. or felt forced. In the past few years, all of us probably got yeah. more calls from recruiters. But <laughs> in the early days, uh, I want to say maybe like around 2008, I went to the CFO at the time and actually asked to do like a backwards analysis of like when you had women in leadership versus when you had men in leadership and to show how much more profitable he was. And I went mm. and it wasn't surprised to me to show like, Make more money when women are in charge. Wow. By the way, there's like another hundred studies that keep underscoring this point for anybody listening that runs a company. You put women in charge, you make more money. It's just good wow. for your shareholders. And I think he took it to heart. And, you know, during the time I've been there, we've had a CEO of television network. You know, his, he's had many other chief of stats who were women. The uh, CMO at his water was a woman. We've had at any given time between 40 and 60 percent across his executive team of female leadership. And if you look at Puff and you think of him as a success yep. of American entrepreneurship, he absolutely is a creative visionary, but what he's smart about is getting the best people to build the businesses behind him. Yeah. And they're usually women. Wow. Listen. Yes. Mic drop. Okay. Yeah. And we're done. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of looking at some stats, but I know under your leadership, Ciroc, it went from, it pretty much went from... Zero, zero. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, was yeah. To, I was trying to say it politely, but like obscurity and nobody yeah. to, um, I think I read somewhere like, what was it, like a 1,000 In some zip codes, it was like a, literally a 1,000% yeah. growth in the first 24 months. And yeah. just being one of the most recognizable brands of vodka. Yeah, no, I'm so proud. I mean, before I had a daughter, that was absolutely my baby, my yeah. first baby. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, it was interesting because... So again, I give Puff a lot of credit. When you look at like the ultra premium spirit space, like there we were so underrepresented in an ownership way and also very underrepresented in the way we were being marketed to. So like I often say like if you decide as a company, we're going to, we've decided that we're going to explore China as our new territory. You would not make your plan like, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate Chinese New Year. That's our whole plan. Like, that's not how you would approach it as a new territory. Right? So you have within the United States an existing marketplace that's largely neglected, both from a, like, I think also from a 21-plus youth standpoint, um, and certainly from an African-American standpoint, and really all people of color. Um, So it was really important to us, and and, uh, with the, you know, at the time, our partner Diageo, we were very clear about, like, if we're going to engage in spirits, we're going to do it in a way that is respectful yeah. and consistent with this audience, yes. with a product that is premium, that we are proud of, that celebrates the glamour and, and the luxury of this community that does not get told. And I think the response was people felt heard. And they were mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's my real life. And that story hadn't been told. If you really look back um, like 30 years, there were a lot of fun, ooh, buy this this gin for black history. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm actually, I'm, I, listening to you talk, I'm sitting here thinking about um, flipping through a lot of old magazines yeah. and seeing those old like Hennessy ads and Colt 45. Ads. Yeah, Just exactly. like little, you yeah. know, like I know obviously there's a, a gap between that. Like I know that we've, there were some other efforts, but it just wasn't a big you know, like we just the way we were perceived. No, yeah, it, it was, was just very a gap yeah. in the way <clears throat> the a, the amount of dollars, and I just think the respect and the communication mm. um, was lacking. 
Um, so we, we really took on how are we showcasing this in the right way? And also joy. Like, you know, yeah. it was really important to us in the early years when we built Ciroc. And we'll go out of our way for every communication to be like, I want to show people, not just the corniness of like, oh, having a good time. But like, we want to be able to show like, yes, black people are having wonderful lives yes. and, celebrating and celebrating it. Like, you know what I mean? Like again. everything we turn on cannot be, you know, in jail and, yeah. and prostitutes and downtrodden and anger. Yeah. And that's a real part of everyone's existence, no doubt. But there are times, there are people who are doing well. And I think the idea of... Um, what uh, I think the idea of triumph over adversity, if you will, was always the message behind Ciroc. And I mm. felt like that just, that's something you can't fake. Like yeah. people recognize it. And right. it's a damn good vodka. It is. It is a damn good vodka. And I don't do vodka. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you're here. Usually I'm a tequila woman. Um, but <laughs> but I just remember like it. Oh, you really are. Margarita Marquita. <laughs> Um, but I, I remember, I remember when it came out. I just remember just the buzz around it and just that that time period. And um, it's kind of it's really dope to know that there was a woman behind oh, a lot of this. Um, so you left Combs Enterprises, yes, in October 2019. Mm-hmm. So what's up? <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on? So after Some 14 years, yes, yeah. uh, it was just a wonderful run. But one, uh, I think in the spirit of the podcast, I really wanted to have like real significant and deep levels of ownership and authority um, over my work. And Puff was a phenomenal partner. And um, but this was a chance I thought like, hey, this is an industry that is burgeoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really excited about the opportunity in the cannabis space. Yeah. Um, so I just recently launched a company called The Burn Group. Um, we closed out uh, financing in the summer, and our focus is around uh, CBD in the United States. And then we have a Canadian footprint, which is total all wow. cannabis okay. as well. We have offices in New York um, <laughs> and Toronto, and our focus is primarily around e-commerce, distribution, and brand building. Okay. That, I, so in terms of what, um, what do you hope to really achieve with this, with this new endeavor? Yeah, look, beyond the obvious like commercial and revenue driving things, um, we're back at the same issue of we have a brand new, super exciting industry. When I think about, when I look back and I've studied quite a bit about post-prohibition, how much money was made and bootleggers who transitioned and the people who got in early when prohibition happened in spirits. We're in that space right now. Mm-hmm. And today, in these early days, over 80% of CEOs in the space are mostly white men again, yeah. mm-hmm. which this is a chance for this to be like the new American dream. This is a chance to actually change, I think, um, society at large mm-hmm. in terms of the potential opportunities, the true benefits, true health benefits. It's a, it's a plant that has been researched for centuries yeah. in terms of the job opportunity, particularly when you think about farmers in areas like Mississippi or Kentucky, that this is now a new revenue driving crop. Um, and then in terms of like, how do we build an industry the right way? Um, I, I don't, this is like probably a whole nother podcast, yeah. but I talk a lot about the difference between improvement and innovation and where like we fool ourselves a lot being like, it's innovation because we changed it to yellow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, that made things a little bit better versus like, no white space start from the beginning. Yeah. Like what is the intergalactic next level mission <laughs> Martian, yeah. like amazing, miraculous, true innovation. That's an airplane or like, yeah. you know what I mean? Or a telephone. Completely. That's like some crazy kind of things. 
This industry should be that. Yeah. This should be like when you build a company, we have a chance to build it from scratch with real diversity and real respect for gender identity and an actual opportunity to have true innovation and real consumer conversation. So I sat on the sidelines since 2014 looking at this industry and I was like, I got it. This is legit a once in a millennium opportunity. Like I want to be all the way in all day. What made you, was there a person or something that you saw that made you say, okay, I got to get into this. What what did it for you? Well, I mean, look, part of my role um, as president of Combs Enterprises was, of course, I was always looking at yeah. emerging industries and I was getting lots of opportunities. You can imagine proposals for PUP. Sure. So as I'm starting to look at this, I'm starting to look at the numbers. I mean, right now, it just, you just the projections for CBD alone is $40 billion in 2024. The last time an industry has moved at that pace you know, it's literally like the gold rush, literally. Um, so I just kept looking and I'm like, wait a minute, a couple things that just make sense. It's all of the same um, muscles, if you will, that I've sharpened in building spirits are really quite applicable to this space. So it seems like a natural transition. Um, yes. <laughs> and then and then two, I, I'm just like obsessed with building things from scratch. It's like, oh my gosh, it's like not only like just a product, but it's like a whole industry. Like I go and like, how can I go and actually shake up the whole yeah. industry and say like, I can't be the only one. Like we need, we need 5,000, you know, CEOs of color. We yep. need like, so for me, those were the things that were so attractive and exciting and, um, and it hasn't disappointed, um, has yeah. not disappointed so far. I'm sitting here kind of going, like just listening to you and it, it just dawned on me. Weren't you the first president for? Oh Shonda? yes. Okay. So yes. let's back up. Um, the yes. new program with um, the Department of Defense that you were a part of, like you kind oh, of had, like you've yeah. had all these experiences where you had to be the first kind of. Yeah, I never and thought about that. Yeah. Where you've had, it sounds like where you're, you're probably very good at creating structure. Well, so that's the thing that, yes, I love operationalizing ideas. Yeah. I mean, that used to be the joke. It was like, Puff has a thousand dreams a day. Like, if he was here right now, he would already, we'd all be working and he'd given us, you know, a thousand assignments. Yes. And they were like, you would be like, I would be like the dream factory of, he's like, you know, I want to turn the sky purple and I would be like, okay, I'm identifying okay, food color. Do this. color. Yeah. I talked to NASA's on the phone and actually just, you know what I mean? A person who takes a wonderful concept yeah. and then makes it so. So yeah, I do. I do love doing that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, literally you were seeing a light bulb come off. I'm like, wait, so there's, there's a pattern here. Um, but also the best way to create, you know, the best way is a joke, you know what I mean? Is like, is like to, to predict the future is just to create it. Right. Absolutely. So my thing is also, I don't, you know, if I, I I'm not I'm not gonna sit around and complain about the organization that I'm in. I'd rather figure out how I can build it from scratch yep. with the nuances that I think are appropriate. Yeah. So what um what's next for? Uh, I, I want to say BRN. Burn. I said BRN because I because I keep seeing the, the world domination. Yes. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Look, we're yeah. bringing like a level of. There's a lack of. Um, it's kind of similar to how it was in spirits. When you look at, I bet if I asked you or anybody, you know, anybody in this office, name five CBD brands, like no one can. And this is like my favorite party trick for the last six months. <laughs> Literally no one can. It's like zero out of zero. Yes. And um, there's a gap in premium products that you can absolutely trust and feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. A place that's convenient for you to actually find it, like where you actually shop, whether it's e-commerce or your local Whole Foods or your CVS. Um, and also a sense of, a sense of understanding of culture. Yeah. There isn't a good connection to music or fashion or art or um, philanthropic. Right right now, it is very much like CBD inside, buy it here. It's yeah. very dry, which I think is reflective of the lack of diversity in, yeah. in the industry. So we're here to make that change and provide and bring brands that you're actually interested in. And more importantly, because product is champion, that when you try it, you're like, oh, damn, this really 
works. Works. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice do you have for the many Black women out there who are maybe trying to be more agile with their careers and to, you know, have the space to pivot into different industries like you have? Because there's, there's clearly a golden thread that kind of like that connects you to all of these. It's clear what you're really, really great at. But I do think that's something that a lot of people struggle with in terms of like staying current and, you know, pivoting into something else and just really, really being able to adapt to the times. You just have, you just, just, just try it. You know what I mean? I know it sounds very simple, but it's like, I, you know, I don't even know how old I am, 44. Mm-hmm. And I literally <laughs> know people who have been talking about the same thing for 24 years. Like, you know what I mean? Like the same thing. And the amount of effort and worry and, and thought you're having about the things you could be doing, like just transition that energy into the actual action. Like move it from your brain to your hands and your feet. And you'd be surprised what you can accomplish, whatever it is. Because I, I think there's a, there's a, there's some disconnect that there's like some mythical, mystical skills that people have who are CEOs. All human beings share 99.5% of the same genome pattern. We all have the same strength of ability. It's, it's not some like if aliens came, we would look like ants. Like, you know what I mean? Y'all yeah. are all the same. Like, what are you fighting about? <laughs> so like, but on the flip side, if you think like, oh, I'm not, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Like I've been fortunate to be in rooms with kings and queens and CEOs and billionaires. I can't, there's not a whole bunch of times that I'm like, oh, no, I can't do that. So special. It's not so special. <laughs> and that, you know what I mean? It's not so special. Yeah. Like, it's not. Like, you can do it. You can do whatever it is. Um, and, and to my earlier point, we're, we've inherited, America used to be like the young country, right? And go, but we're now inheriting broken systems. It's not easy to change systems that have 30,000 employees. But you can start your system if you have the best, if you're selling the coolest glasses or you have the brand new pencil that works better for left-handed people or you're the baddest, you know what I mean, hairdresser. Like you can figure out what your particular legacy is. But if you feel free and you have ownership, then you are already going in the right direction. So I do want to end it there, but I do have two more questions for you. Oh, yeah. I don't even know, like, what that's just, I, you just made me want to just, I'm, like, leaving the room. My spirit is just, I, thank you. <laughs> and I hope everybody received that message. Because just looking at you say that, like, you live it. And it's it comes out of you. Yes. <laughs> two questions for you. Um, what does the word unbossed? podcast name is unbossed. What does it mean to you? And tell me about a woman who is unbossed to you, who you admire and you respect. So uh, simply the word just means freedom to me. I think probably nothing more to say than that. Yeah. And um, in terms of a woman, I would say maybe Lena Horn. Okay. Um, Because I think we we take for granted sometimes, like Gary, if you guys ever follow Gary Vee, but he talks about this quite a bit, where I'm guilty of this. We're all like, oh my God, I'm so busy. I'm so, I don't have time. I don't have time. But like just two generations, three generations ago, people straight up walking 80 blocks, churning butter, yeah. riding horse. You know what I mean? Like information had to be got from your aunt who was smart, who lived a hundred miles up. You know what I mean? Or at least in my generation, yeah. I had to go to Britannica and actually look it up and in the encyclopedia. Yes. And I was fortunate that my parents invested and was like, we're going to save up and get an encyclopedia set. Like other people, yep. like if they want to know something, they got to make a trip to, to the, the library. library. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. right now we talk about not having time. We actually have nothing but time. You can Google anything. You can get food and human beings delivered to you. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're yes. living at a time that you actually could do anything. When I think about a woman like Lena Horn who was able to establish herself as the epitome of, of grace and class and elegance at a time where 
everything was against her. I mean, everything. everything. Yeah. Um, we talk about living in your freedom. I just feel like Lena Horne really represents that. I love that. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the thank inspiration. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Be sure to listen. Download or subscribe to more episodes of Unbossed. You can find Unbossed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple listeners, please be sure to leave me a review and let me know what you think. Be kind, but be critical. That's okay, too. Don't forget to hit me up on social at Marquita underscore Harris underscore. Be sure to use the hashtag Unbossed Podcast. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys.